If you have your Bible here today, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to uh, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4 and verse 1 and 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're in our series finishing that up today, Headlines from Tomorrow. This will be the final message in this series on Bible prophecy. I pray that it's been a help to you. Has it helped you? I pray that it's helped you to see the world and what's going on and also to see the answers that the Bible has given us. These are indeed prophetic times that we are living in. But I want to preach to you today from 1 Timothy 4, 1, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And the headline that we're going to be looking at, you're going to understand it very well, is this. Midnight of spiritual darkness. In February of 2023, the singer Sam Smith performed his chart-topping song, Unholy, during the 65th Grammy Awards. Don't worry, I didn't watch, I never do. But Sam Smith was joined on stage by another singer, Kim Petras, who performed inside a cage. Both were clad in red leather and donned horns, evoking cartoonish comparisons to the devil. Flames erupted on the stage and dancers resembled demons. Later in the show, the two won the best pop duo group performance Grammy. And during the acceptance speech, Kim Petras said this, quote, I am the first transgender woman to win this award. I want to thank all the incredible transgender legends before me who kicked these doors open. Outrage over the performance was immediate and fierce. Conservative commentators and politicians called it Satan worship during prime time. And, quote-unquote, the normalization of evil. I didn't watch, probably you didn't watch, but millions of people around the world did watch. According to Fox News report, listen to what happened in April of 2023. The city of Boston hosted SatanCon, a three-day event that was touted as, quote, the largest satanic gathering in history. Each day, several thousand Satanists declared their allegiance to Lucifer, burned flags, and destroyed Bibles. Speeches were given on topics such as transgenderism, that's how you know it's demonic, when the Satanists are preaching on it. And such illuminating topics as hellbillies, Satanism in rural America. <laughs> Disney is getting in on the Satanism too. Yes, the House of Mouse, that illustrious family-centered organization. Disney recently released an animated cartoon series called Little Demon. The premise of the show, listen to this, is about a woman who mates with Satan and gives birth to a daughter. The main character is 13-year-old Chrissy, Satan's daughter. And they're peddling that to children. Decision Magazine said this, quote, The irony is this is evidence of the spiritual war that the series is designed to make its audience think doesn't exist. Could there be any doubt after these anecdotes that American culture has a macabre fascination with spiritual darkness? Those of you who've been alive longer than I have and remember America of yesterday, has it ever been as dark as it is right now? David Jeremiah wrote these words, quote, In recent times, people are becoming more callous, violent, angry, addicted, and perverse. 
attitudes and behaviors deemed unthinkable even a decade ago are now considered acceptable. Yes, evil has always been part of human society. History is an album of atrocities and death. Satan and his demons have always been present in man's worst deeds. But increasingly, we sense the darkness growing and that the breakdown is irreversible. He finished by saying, Indeed, this is what the Bible predicted. A rampant acceleration of godlessness as we approach the end times. It's one of the many signs that we see converging today with other signs alerting us to the fact that time is running out. That the Lord's return is near. Yes, this is a headline of tomorrow, but we're seeing it begin today. In today's message, I want to shed light on this increasing spiritual darkness that is threatening to overtake our nation and yes, even whole world. I want to show you the signs of spiritual darkness. And then we're going to look at ways in which we can fight against it. But number one, notice with me this morning, signs of spiritual darkness. Now you don't have to be a theologian to look out on our world and notice these things. But when you know a little bit of the Word of God and you open your eyes to what's happening in the world around us, it's very evident that we are in a season of incredible darkness. Paul wrote two passages to his young protege, Timothy, predicting these very days, that spiritual darkness would be in the last days. Notice 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Are we there? You better believe it. Well, how about this? The second passage. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of of God. What a mouthful. If you take those two passages together, they make a list of 21 descriptions that characterize the breakdown of society and moral chaos that ensues as the shadows of spiritual darkness lengthen in the last days. Now, I don't have time to go through all 21, and some of you say amen to that because we'd be here for three hours, but I just want to hit on a few. A few that Paul lists here. We're currently checking all these boxes on Paul's lethal list. And the sad reality is that, friend, a politician isn't going to solve it. Another government handout isn't going to help it. Hollywood doesn't have the answer. The education system is bankrupt. Man has no way out of the spiritual darkness which we find ourselves in. We need a Savior. We need a clear revelation and a word from God. We need a heaven-sent, Holy Spirit-inspired breakthrough of epic proportions that hasn't happened in the history of this nation before if we are to survive. But what are the signs? Well, the first one we notice is the apostasy of the church. He says in 1 Timothy 4, "...once some will depart from the faith." Now, the Bible calls... Uh, spiritual defection, the word apostasy. And an apostate is someone who willingly defects from the truth or they deny what was previously believed. For example, we point to Judas, 
What a perfect example of apostasy there in our New Testament. Here's a man who witnessed all of Jesus' miracles, uh, who heard Jesus' teachings, and yet he willingly repudiated all of that, betrayed Jesus, and perished. That's an example of an apostate. That's what's happening in American society today. Did you know that in 2021, our nation crossed a new threshold according to a Gallup poll for the first time in history, less than half of Americans, or 47%, attend a church at all. First time in American history since they've been keeping record that a majority is no longer coming to the house of God or to a church to receive spiritual food. Now, before apostates depart from the fellowship physically, they deny the faith doctrinally. In other words, they deny that Jesus is the only way to heaven. They deny the inerrancy and the inspiration of the Scriptures. They deny the reality of hell. The Bible's clear teaching on sexuality and family and gender and God's design for marriage. You see, an apostate begins by denying the truth doctrinally and then once they understand that, hey, there's no difference between the culture and the Word of God because we've poked so many holes in it and chose to walk away from it, that what's the point in going to church anymore? So they deny doctrinally and then they leave the church physically. That's what's happened here in our nation. I was riding around the other day and I drove by a local Candler United Methodist Church and you know what it had on the sign? The sign said, Jesus had two dads and he turned out all right. Read between the lines. You know what the message is there. That's apostasy. And it won't be long unless God does a miracle in the pulpit of that church, they're going to be closing the doors pretty soon. Because there's no difference between the message that that church is giving and what they could get from the culture. That's apostasy. And friend, when the gospel light flickers out at a church, the world grows a little bit darker. And the sinners in that community, their fate is sealed. Where else will they go to hear the blessed Word of God? That church isn't reaching anybody. They're not being loving. They're pushing people away. They're hurting people by not giving them the truth. They're only increasing the amount of darkness, not helping it. Matthew Henry, the great Bible commentator, said this, A state of apostasy is worse than a state of ignorance because it is to choose the darkness over the light. Oh my goodness. Bless God, help me today. We need a revival in the church. The church doesn't even believe the book anymore. The church doesn't even preach the gospel anymore. The church is desperately in need of a touch from the Holy Spirit today. The apostasy of the church, that's one sign of spiritual darkness. But then also notice this, the attraction of occultism. 1 John 4 and verse 3, Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Did you hear that? The Antichrist spirit that is seeking to dominate is already in control already working to build that culture, that system where the beast can take over. But you need to know something about that prefix, anti. You see it there in the word, antichrist. By the way, 1 John is the only book where we find that title, antichrist, used. But that prefix, anti, it has a dual meaning in the original language. It can mean against, but it can also mean instead of. In other words, not only opposing, but also a counterfeit. 
That's the idea behind the Antichrist. Yes, he opposes the true Christ. He opposes the truth. He opposes the Word of God. But he also offers a counterfeit, a replacement. Something that is shiny and sounds good and makes people feel good, but it leads them into darkness. When Christianity is waning in the West, do you know that Satan always has a counterfeit ready to take its place? It's not just an empty vacuum out there. Satan's got 101 different imitations to sort of shove in front of people's eyes so that they will love that more than the gospel. And in today's world, it's occultism. Now, occultism isn't anything new. It's, it's as old as man-made religion. But occultism in America right now is surging. You know why? Because we've rejected the truth of the Word of God. We've said, I don't want Jesus. I don't want the God of the Bible. Preachers, sit down and shut up. Give me something else that's about me. That's what occultism is really about. Notice what this headline says. Social media experts are noting that younger millennials and Gen Zers, those born from 2000 to 2010, are showing a growing interest in the occult. Look at the headline. Witch talk. Occult gurus produce viral TikTok and YouTube videos that teach their viewers how to read tarot cards, how to cast spells, how to use crystals, how to perform psychic rituals, how to commune with the spirits of the dead. You say, why would anybody be attracted to this? Listen to what one influencer said explaining the allure of the occult. They said, because occultism gives people a direct connection to spiritual power. That's what's happening right now. You say, Maybe not in the older generation, but yes, in the younger generation. Who don't, never heard the Bible, don't know of Jesus, don't know anything about the gospel, but they'll get on YouTube, they'll get on TikTok, and there is some occult expert who will teach them for free lessons. And they're seeing in the younger generation arise in the interest of occultism. Now, Leviticus 19 and 31 warns us against dabbling in the occult. That verse says, Do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out. And so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Some of you understand this. Some of you who came out of that background, there were some things in your home, some talismans, some trinkets, some things left over from a past life that gave you a creepy feeling once you came to know the Spirit of Truth and Jesus Christ, and you had to cast those things out. And there's some people in the, 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 the church today who need to have a purging go on in their house uh, these uh, occultic things, uh, crystals and tarot cards and horoscopes and occultic books, these things are from the darkness, my friend. I'm not trying to make you mad. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm trying to protect you from the encroaching darkness that wants to steal, kill, and destroy your house, your family, and your future. It may sound fun, it may sound interesting, it may sound magical and mystical, but friend, when you open that spiritual door and you're knocking on the spiritual realm, something wicked is going to answer and walk through. The posture of the church, the attraction of occultism. How about this, the affliction of addiction. 
This is another sign of the spiritual darkness that has moved in on our nation. Now, if you go to Galatians chapter 5, there Paul lists the sins of the flesh and the works of the Holy Spirit. And among the sins of the flesh, notice what is named there. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. Notice this word, sorcery. And then the verse at the bottom, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. When you hear sorcery, you think of a witch's brew. You think of something related to the occult. But actually, the Greek word that is used in the text for sorcery is the word pharmakia. You ever heard that word before? That's where we get our English word pharmacy. Sorcery in the context actually means changing your brain chemistry with drugs and alcohol or some kind of substance that alters your mental state so that you can forget your problems temporarily, achieve a high, and feel good for a little bit. That's what sorcery, according to the Word of God, is about. And alcohol and drug abuse leads to spiritual darkness because it changes the brain's chemistry. And it, when you change your brain chemistry, you are no longer in the driver's seat, friend. And you thereby open yourself up to all manner of evil spirit that can move in and take dominion over you. I'm talking about a spirit of depression. A spirit of suicide. Suicide is from Satan. And the way that he worms himself into a lot of people's lives is through substance abuse because they get on these drugs thinking it's going to lead them to paradise and utopia and escape. And then the highs ain't high anymore and all they're left with is emptiness. And at that point, they've shattered their life, they've lost everything, and they think, why am I even alive anymore? Addiction is a terrible monster that grows gradually inside a person until they can no longer control the beast. The biggest lie that we hear from our addict friends and family members is, oh, I can stop anytime I want to. I don't have a problem. Well, then why didn't you quit a long time ago? Why? That's a stronghold. That's spiritual oppression. You may want to quit, but you can't quit. Why? Because you're in chains of darkness. And addiction eventually destroys everything in its path, including the people who love the addict the most. Can I get a witness? If you've rode the roller coaster of addiction, trying to help a friend or a family member, you know what I'm talking about. The lows are really low because one day you want to strangle them. You're angry with them. You don't understand their decision. Why are they hurting me? Why don't they want to get better? Where God is rock bottom for this person? Some days all you can do is sit and weep for them. And then other days you're fighting mad. You want to strangle them yourself. Because you can't trust them. They've hurt you. They've thrown everything away. Hello, am I preaching anybody's world today? Addiction is idolatry writ large in a life. It is fully committing yourself to a God who will demand everything for just a good feeling. Do you know, according to the CDC, 380 people die each day because of alcohol. And it's quote-unquote legal. It's the most deadly legal drug in our country. 380 people die each day, 140,000 each year. Think about this, friend. 380 is about the seating capacity of a 747 airliner. Imagine in this country, 
If a 747 nosedived into the ground every single day for a year, do you think we would think, you know, something might be wrong with the air safety in the airline industry. Maybe we ought to change it. But because alcohol is seen as legal and alcohol is so accepted in our society, we just turn a blind eye. But today... A 747, 380 people are going to die tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day because we're deceived. Oh, I can control it. <laughs> I don't have a problem. I can drink in moderation. Listen, moderation is the cause. We believe that we can just have a little bit and be okay. But friend, it's a tool of the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy your life. And then we think about our open southern border. Do you know that the DEA tells us that on average, they seize 900 pounds of fentanyl a week? 900 pounds. The DEA tells us that just two pounds of that substance is enough to kill approximately a million people. You do the math. Every week, enough fentanyl to kill 450 million people. That's just what they catch. What comes through? And this is how dark our leadership is. If they wanted to fix it, they could have done it a long time ago. They want the death. They want the destruction. They want the cultural Marxism. They want the problems. Because they have had every opportunity to fix it, and they don't want to. Let me tell you just how close this hits home. Just a couple weeks ago, I went and preached a funeral for a 20-year-old kid. A 20-year-old kid who overdosed. Satan does not care. I hate the devil. I hate what he does to our young people. 20-year-old kid, overdose, dead. I had the opportunity to go and preach that funeral. That was hard. You know why? Because at one point, that kid was a little boy who ran around our family life center. Now, I pray that we had an opportunity to plant a seed of faith in his life, but that little boy, one time, was an ankle biter over in our family life center. But the devil got a hold of him. And I'm telling you, there was such spiritual hindrance in that funeral. As I was preaching that service, listen, there was spiritual warfare taking place. Whenever, when somebody asks me to preach a funeral, I always say yes because that's the opportunity that you'll have to preach the gospel to people who will never come in a church, never darken the door of a church, but they will come to a funeral. And when they asked me to preach it, I said, well, I'm going to give them the truth. And I preached the gospel bloody and hard. I talked about addiction. I talked about the grace of God. I talked about sin. And I didn't get five minutes into my message. And the, his friends... The addict's friends, about a dozen of them, got up and walked out. You know why? Because they could not handle the truth. There was a spiritual force fighting that service. That's what we're up against, friends. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to let you know this is what our fight is about. The acceptance of evil is the next one. The acceptance of evil. Do you know in his Olivet Discourse, Jesus said that the social conditions would resemble the days of Noah leading up to his return. Matthew 24 and 37, For as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. Now if you flip back into the early chapters of Genesis, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, here is what the social conditions 
of Noah's generation were like. For the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Are we there yet, church? Perhaps nothing illustrates this more than the worldwide child sex industry. Listen to this. Every day there are 116,000 internet queries for child porn. Estimates suggest that 40 million people are victims in this heinous crime worldwide and 20% are minors. More people are captive to the sex slave industry today than at any point in history. And that even includes when the transatlantic slave trade was happening, when they were going to Africa and picking up slaves and bringing them to the United States. And yet, you never hear the outrage from the left on that. They talk about slavery. They talk about oppression. They talk about systemic racism in the United States. And yet, there's more slaves in our world right now. Where's the outrage about that? Who's going to cry for these children? Who's going to help open the eyes of our world to a torrent of darkness and evil? You see, there's a lot of rich and powerful and influential people who could do something about this, but they don't want to be exposed. If you saw the film, The Sound of Freedom, Jim Caviezel, who played the U.S. agent Tim Ballard, he said this line in the movie, and when I went and saw the movie and I heard this line, it was like my heart dropped to the bottom of my belly. He said this, Over two million children a year are being sucked into the deepest recesses of hell. Trust me, man, if we do nothing, their pain is going to spread and spread until someday it's going to reach the likes of you and it will be a nightmare that you're never going to wake up from. Last thing is this. The last sign of spiritual darkness, the activity of demons. Notice Paul says they devote themselves to the doctrines of demons. C.S. Lewis noted insightfully in his book, The Screwtape Letters, that Christians usually fall into one of two unhealthy extremes on the subject of demonic activity. Here's what he said, quote, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an unhealthy interest in them. I'm not trying to be sensational this morning. I just want to share with you what I have seen happen in the ministry since 2020. COVID was a very dark period in the time of this nation. The staying at home and the mass and all that, the, the social distancing, the isolation, it did a number on people's mental health. And some people have not recovered and maybe won't recover unless they find Jesus. But since 2020, since we came out of that, do you know that I, as just a, a, a little country pastor, I have witnessed significant uptick in demonic oppression. You say, what is that? This is not the same as demonic possession where a person has an evil spirit taking residence in them, like what we read about in the Gospels. But demonic oppression is a real thing that even God's people can fall victim to. It's not from the inside, it's from the outside. You say, what is demonic oppression? Well, in my experience, it always begins around a stronghold. There's something in that person's life that they have not yet dealt with. A recurring sin. 
an addiction, a, a, a feeling of shame that they carried with them through their life. Maybe something was done to them in the past and they've got PTSD from it and they carry the shame of that with them and they never told anybody and they never saw healing or counseling and so they bottled it up and it's got to come out somehow, some way. And the enemy knows how to use those things to beat us down. Or it could be an unresolved trauma in somebody's past. I'm seeing more and more of it. You say, what are the symptoms of oppression? Here's what I've encountered as I've ministered to people. Insomnia, depression, nightmares, recurring sins, inability to pray or read Scripture. Mental torment, isolation, even eating disorders, and paralyzing fear. This is spiritual oppression that's happening among God's people in the church. And we think, I can't say anything to anybody about it. They'll think I'm weird. And so people come in and out of church week in and week out, and they live a life of quiet desperation. And the devil has them so beat down. And I'm here today to tell you, you don't have to suffer. There's a great Savior. He's a chain breaker. He can help you today. He can lead you out of that spiritual oppression. But you have to do it God's way. And you have to open up the sore and the, the hard topic. And you have to talk about the pain and the trauma. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. In order to heal, you have to feel men Stop burying your pain in machismo. It's only hurting you. Let God deal with the pain. It's the only way you're going to get out of it. But Mark 9.28 tells us this. As Jesus healed that demoniac boy, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. A 12-step program won't solve spiritual oppression. A little bit of Bible study here. A little bit of prayer here. It's a battle. It's a fight. You've got to be committed to it. You've got to do the hard thing. You've got to seek the Savior. Number one is the signs of spiritual darkness. Number two, as I close here today, seeing in the spiritual darkness. Okay, we know what the darkness is all about. We see it all around us. But how do we see through it? How do we make our way? The Christian faith is not a playground, it's a battleground. Every one of us has been called to fight in an invisible war. And it's only going to get more intense as our culture gets more woke, more dark, and more lost. What is spiritual warfare? Here's a definition that I wrote. Spiritual warfare refers to the cosmic conflict of Satan and his demonic forces against God's angelic hosts and the church. It is an invisible spiritual conflict that manifests in our visible physical reality in which Satan's goal is to deceive, divide, and destroy. And if you say, well, pastor, I've never experienced spiritual warfare. <laughs> Friend, let me alert you to the fact that you are in a battle. Four ways we can fight and push back against the growing spiritual darkness. First thing is this, research the enemy. Research the enemy. Ephesians 6, 11, and 12. But put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
The Bible pictures Satan using several different animal-like metaphors. He is a serpent trying to deceive God's people according to Genesis 3 and Revelation 12, 9. He's a bird trying to spoil God's harvest in Matthew 13. He's a wolf trying to scatter God's flock according to John 10. He's a lion seeking to devour sleeping Christians in 1 Peter 5, 8. And he is a dragon who tried but failed to destroy God's Son in Revelation 12. Paul uses an interesting Greek word in Ephesians 6.11 that is translated schemes. You saw it on the board. It's the Greek word methodia from which we derive our word method. And it carries the thought of being systematic, strategic, deliberate, and methodical. Satan has a a little bit of a head start on you and me, my friend. He's got about 6,000 years of human history to study and observe mankind and understand what makes us tick and how to get us entrapped. But praise God, the Word of God uncovers our enemy's tricks and ploys and deceptions and temptations. And the reason why so many people in the church are living in defeat is because they haven't done their homework to research how Satan works and how he operates. And I'm telling you today that if you just open this blessed book and study what the Word of God has to say about our enemy, you don't have to live a defeated life. Hey, he don't have to get your lunch. You don't have to be defeated every day. You don't have to live in depression and addiction and so on. You research the enemy and you'll know his attacks and how to defeat him. When General George Patton counterattacked the German tank commander Erwin Rommel in World War II. Patton, at the thick of battle, is said to have stood up on the top of a tank after he had won, and he said, I read your book, you rascal! I read your book! In other words, Patton had studied Rommel's infantry attacks textbook, and he knew everything the German leader was going to do because he studied his enemies movements. And friend, when we study the Word of God, praise God, I can learn a lot about the enemy that there's no way I could know unless God in His blessed providence saw fit to give me His Word and open my eyes and help me to see He's a liar and praise God, He's a loser. You see, friend, God has already exposed all His tactics and His plan. I don't have to give up ground to the enemy anymore. Satan is a defeated foe, my friend. I can walk in victory. I can not try and earn victory, but work from the victory that Jesus already won for me. You see, he already defeated him in the wilderness. He beat him at the cross. He kicked his rear end at the empty tomb. And friend, I've got victory today in Jesus Christ because he's already taken the enemy's greatest weapon, which is death, and used it for victory in my life. Amen? Research the enemy, reveal the light. Ephesians 5, look at what it says in verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For by it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that has become visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. All believers are light bearers and we carry Christ and the hope of the gospel everywhere we go. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, said this, Lighthouses don't fire cannons 
to call attention to their shining. They just shine and reveal the dangers lurking in the dark. Our calling, listen, isn't to be popular. Isn't to fit in. Isn't to make the world feel better about their opinion of the gospel. Our calling is to shine. Our calling is to be bold and to be bright in these last days because I've got folk that are still in the darkness and I want them to know there's a way out. There's a Savior. Hey, He can break your chains and you don't have to reside in the kingdom of darkness. You can move over to the kingdom of light and I want to show you the way. He's over there. He's crucified. He's risen. He's at the right hand of God interceding for me right now. And soon and very soon, He's returning. God hasn't called us to be popular, but to be faithful. And friend, the darker the night, the brighter the light. I used to share a crummy old apartment with some boys when I was in uh, college. Man, you talk about a dump. It needed a touch of a woman, big time. But me and two other boys, we shared an apartment my junior and senior year. And this place was just a dump. I can remember going in that place when it was dark at night and flipping on the light. And you know what happened when you flip on the light? You could see the little roaches. Roaches just scurrying for every crack and crevice and dark hiding place, running under the couch and underneath the refrigerator. And friend, I'm telling you, praise God, I've got a lighthouse. I've got a flashlight. I've got something real bright. It's the Word of God. It's the Spirit of God living in me. And I can walk in this dark world and I can expose the hiding places of the enemy. And the Holy Spirit helps me. He gives me wisdom. He gives me truth. And friend, that's our job. That's our calling. And so many of you have come to this place right here because it was a lighthouse. You were searching for hope. You were searching for meaning. You were wondering, is there any Anything else to this life I'm so empty I'm so broken I'm so hopeless but God by his spirit led you to this place where you heard the word of God felt something you had never felt or maybe hadn't felt in a long time the moving of the spirit of God and I'm thankful today brother Clifford for all the gospel preaching preachers with some backbone who will shine a light in the darkness and say there's hope for your family there's an answer for your sickness Uh, there's a solution to your depression yes your marriage can be put back together again there's a light that's shining bright at age 75 Monta Vista Road and God is doing a saving work right here I talked to somebody this week and they told me that I didn't have to ask for more time to preach, so I'm just going to preach, okay? <laughs> Last two things. Rely on the Savior. Rely on the Savior. Mark 139 summarizes a day in the life of Jesus. Listen to what it says there. And He went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, and watch this, and casting out demons. The encroaching darkness I have talked about should do at least one thing. It should drive us to a greater dependency on Jesus. I can't cause chains of addiction to fall or scales to drop from eyes, but Jesus can. I can't stand up to Satan day by day and bat a thousand and always have a good attitude and never fall, but there's one in me who can. His name is Jesus. I can't be expected to always look at world problems through the right lens or have the right words or have enough strength for the trial that I'm going through. But there's one within me that can stand up when I'm weak. 
His name is Jesus. I can't preach with power. I can't make anybody want to come to the altar and pray and receive Jesus. But praise God. There's a Word of God. There's a Spirit of God that can break through the hardness of the human heart. That can break through the darkness. That can crush even the most prideful and arrogant heart. And bring them to a point of repentance. No, I can't. But I know one who can. And every day I get up. Oh God, help my people. They're in a tough work situation. They got unbelievers all around them. Give them wisdom, Lord. God, I've got children. Help me as a dad to raise these kids in a dark world. Jesus, I can't do it on my own. I need you. God, I can't preach with power. But Lord, you can through me. So Lord, take this old weak preacher and do something with him. Lord, I can't make this church grow. But God, you have. I can't account for the life change that's taking place here. But God can. And there's a word that Jesus loves for us to hear. Lord, I'm weak. I need you. And the weaker we are, it's like it just brings a bigger smile to Jesus and He can step in and say, I was waiting for you to say that. Now we can get something done. And friend, I'm telling you, you lean into Jesus and you'll find Him to be a help. Jesus said in Luke 21, 28, And when these things begin to come to pass, look up and lift up your head for your redemption draweth nigh, don't be discouraged by the darkness. Jesus said it was coming. He's in control. He's there with us. I love what Adrian Rogers said. When I see what's happening to this world, if I didn't know Him, I would not know what to do. Yet He said, knowing the Bible and Bible prophecy, when I see all these things coming to pass, they don't shake me. Sometimes they grieve me. Sometimes they sadden me. But they do not shake my faith. That's because I know God's Word and I know their fulfillment of prophecy. And I can say with all the saints, praise God, it's getting gloriously dark. Amen. Last thing is this. Reinforce with prayer. At the end of Paul's iconic passage on spiritual warfare, look at what he says, Romans 6. Praying at all times in the Spirit and with all prayer and supplication. Do that in. Keep alert with all perseverance. Making supplication to all the saints. I've been begging. I've been pleading. I've been trying to help some of you realize that what you need is a deeper prayer life. Some of you don't believe it yet, or you don't feel the need of it. But I'm going to keep beating that drum, brother Stan, until that prayer room is overflowing and we have to meet somewhere else because the people of God see that the darkness is coming, realize their own inability, and say, I may miss the meal, I may miss the Bible study, but praise God, I'm going to be there for the prayer meeting because that's where the power's at. 
You want to know why the church has grown? You want to know why people have been set free? You want to know why we have seen a work of God happen in this church? It's not because of me. It's not because of the budget. It's not because of the deacons. It's not because of the praise team. It's because there have been a handful, a holy huddle of people who gathered together in a corner and said, Brother, let's pray. Sister, how can I pray for you? And we assaulted the gates of hell through the power of prayer. And friend, if you haven't developed a prayer, life you're going to need it because it's getting darker every day and my only recourse my only help my only reinforcement has to come from God Almighty when I get on my knees and say Lord I need you because I can't pastor this church Lord I need you I can't counsel this person Lord I need you because I can't reach my wayward family and bring their heart back to where it needs to be but Jesus you can Our musicians are coming. And we're going to sing a hymn as we close today. We're going to sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Maybe the Lord has been dealing with somebody today. I know we already had one altar, but there's nothing in the Bible that says we can't have two invitations. And as Brother Stan prepares for us, will you stand with me? Hey, if you don't have an issue in your life, pray for this church. Pray for your family. Pray for the lost. Pray for the needs that are weighing on your heart. If you need to be saved today, come forward. Need to join the church, come forward. We're going to sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Miss Janice and Mr. Stan, will you lead us?